welcome to another edition of the Stats of War podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, at Stats of War on Twitter. And today I've got two great guests. I've got Grant McGalliard of Frogs of War, um, your friend and mine. And Grant's going to come on and talk about the Purdue game and what we can expect from TCU. And then I have Travis Miller, who's the site manager of Hammer and Rails, SB Nation's Purdue site. Pretty excited to talk to both of them. we got a big game this weekend. Um, S&P has the game as a five-point win in favor of TCU, so can feel encouraged by the numbers, although TCU has only played an FCS opponent, so we really don't know a ton about them. Um, A lot of uncertainty on both sides as Purdue has some injuries, and so we talk about that with Grant, and we talk about that with Travis. Um, As always, you can follow me on Twitter at StatsAwar. You can follow our site at FrogsAwar or FrogsAwar.com. And be on the lookout. I'll have my first deep dive advanced stats preview for Purdue up on Thursday afternoon in time for all of your blowing off work and looking at TCU football stuff uh, needs. So other than that, I'll get out of the way and let the podcast happen. Enjoy. All right, I've got Grant here with me tonight. Grant, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely, Parker. Good to be here. Excited for uh, for Purdue. Yeah, it's nice to. We feel like we kind of had a uh, a gotcha moment where we had game week for an FCS school, got all excited about football, and then had to sit on our hands for an entire week and just think about what playing football might be in the future. So it's nice to be back on game week. It's nice to have a Power Five opponent. It's nice to have some hating in the comments going on already against. Uh, a team that we have not played in recent memory. So, yeah, uh, this weekend, TCU heads to West Lafayette to play Jeff Brom's Purdue Boilermakers, uh, a team that uh, had captured the hearts of nations last year uh, when they united and beat the ever-loving tar out of Ohio State. So, um, Grant is on the podcast today to just talk about what we expect from Purdue, what we expect from uh, TCU, and kind of looking forward to this week. So, Grant, I'll I'll kick it off to you and just start. Are you afraid of the Purdue, uh, Purdue Boilermakers? On offense, yes. Um, I, I, I do respect Purdue. I think Jeff Brom is a really good coach. Um, obviously, Rondell Moore is a stud at wide receiver. Um so yes, on offense, I am very much afraid of Purdue. Um, on defense, not so much. We'll get to that later. Um, I think they kind of showed their vulnerability early in the season. Um, to be honest with you, Parker, what what scares me the most is uh, is just kind of the atmosphere. I mean, West Lafayette is a is a is a scary place, especially at night. Uh, I can only imagine the you know the, everyone in all black and everything. It's 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 a true road game, and and that's honestly what scares me the most yeah it's it's hard to imagine uh or or i guess remember a tcu road game of this magnitude in the non-conference um Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been a couple of big Jerry World matchups, but TCU's very rarely had to go on the road and um, perform in a brand new hostile environment. And so that can't be discounted when we're looking at what's going to happen this weekend. Yeah, I think what the last Power 5 team we played on the road non-conference, and I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it might have been Arkansas. Is that right? A couple years ago. And that was a weird daytime game that I honestly have no memory of. Um, yeah. I, I think TCU won. But yeah, I that was uh, that was seventeen. It. That was Kenny Hill round two, uh, and yep. so yep. and so Kenny um, 
Yeah, we beat them, and I, I only really remember that because my family are big Arkansas fans, and on the first play, like one of the first touchdowns Arkansas scored, their wide receiver did the throat slash motion, which is basically the penalty that TCU got called on them that kind of changed the entire game the year before, and so I was uh, incensed. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So I think that Arkansas Arkansas is it, and, and honestly, that, that's a mess of a program and not a great environment, so... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you talk about Purdue and, and on offense and defense, and their offense is high octane. Um, their defense, interestingly enough, is uh, they bring back about 35, they're 35th in the nation in returning production on defense. They bring back 72% of their defense, but um, it also kind of goes with that old adage of returning production is good, but good returning production is more important. And that defense has had, it, had its moments last season. Uh, and so it looks like the weaker side of the ball definitely for TCU uh, to attack, which is great because TCU's offense is a little bit of a mess as we start the season now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you saw one big piece of news. Um, Purdue's return, uh, leading returning – actually, he was the team leader in tackles last year, uh, senior by the name of Marcus Bailey, who's a co-captain at linebackers, out for the year with a knee injury. Um, I believe they just announced that today. Um, so that's a big hit to their returning production. Um, like you said, is it good returning, bad returning? There's still not a whole lot of seniors on this defensive roster. Looking at their depth chart, um, outside of Bailey, again, who's hurt, there's only one other senior, and that's Ben Holt, who's another linebacker. Um, a lot of juniors and sophomores. Uh, got a freshman starting – or excuse me, there's another senior at safety, but uh, got a freshman starting at strong safety. Their defensive line is really young, um, so – you know, like you said, it's returning production, but I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily um, something to fear, I think, if you're TCU. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen that in two games with Purdue. They gave up a uh, they gave up 34 to uh, Nevada, specifically with a, a pretty spectacular um, second-half crash there. Uh, and and that, that Nevada team went ahead and lost 77-6 to against Oregon. So... Um, yeah, that that they got their doors blown. Yeah, off that, was just, yeah that was just that was just a yeah. beating. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty impressive. Seventeen points in the fourth quarter, twenty seven points in the second half, and that Nevada loss for Purdue. And then you go and you look at the Vanderbilt game, and uh, they they still gave up fourteen second half points. And so there does seem to be some kind of uh, second half defensive struggle for Purdue that hopefully TCU can can take advantage of on that offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I was. I didn't watch the Purdue Nevada game. Um, I just looking at the box score. It looks like Purdue lost a turnover battle five to zero. Um, that'll lose you any game. Uh, but they did give up 404 yards of offense um, against Vanderbilt. Uh, they gave up 420 yards just in passing alone, uh, a nine and 71 rushing. Um, so I don't really think of Vanderbilt as a great passing offensive team. You know what I mean? Uh, so the fact that you know the Commodores are putting up those type of numbers, um, it doesn't really bode well for. Uh, the Purdue defense. Yeah, looking at early games, it's it's kind of rough. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really want. I wouldn't really want to hang my hat on giving up 400 yards of passing uh, to Vanderbilt. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So uh, that's Owen. That's Owen to Vanderbilt now. So Purdue is kind of a a mixed bag. It's kind of uncertain. They looked awful in the Nevada game. They looked great at times in the Purdue game. Or excuse me, their Purdue in the Vanderbilt game. But they're uh, they do have some issues, like the the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. But then also uh, their quarterback is evidently partially, minorly, uh, psychosomatically concussed. 
Can you have a minor concussion, Parker? I only have a journalism degree, so I'm not yeah, qualified that is, to answer that That's question. outside my realm of expertise. There were a couple times at high school football where I was playing kick return, and I got hit and had ringing in my ears, and sometimes I don't remember key details, and I think those are related, but I don't know what a minor concussion is. Yeah. Right. I think uh, I think Jeff Brobb said he is, is pretty uh, confident that Cinderella will play from what I'm picking up. Um, can I ask you this? Do you know about uh, Cinderlar's backup? Uh, I I don't know anything about him other than okay. I heard on a podcast today that he got a ton of G5 offers and took uh, – I think he also had an offer from Arizona and took a uh, took okay. an offer at, at Purdue. So that only means what it means. But I don't know anything about him either other than what I just looked up, and I can't tell you how disappointed I am. His name is Jack Plummer. <laughs> And he's from Arizona, and he is not Jake Plummer's kid. Do you know how disappointing that is? Yeah, that is uh, – I had my hopes up. Yeah, golly. (laughs) There's an entire article uh, from Arizona. It's azfamily.com. looks like a a, a CBS 5 in Arizona about how he's not Jake Plummer's son. That's hilarious. Like how he always gets confused. So I'm I'm very disappointed that we don't get him. But, uh, no, yeah, if Sindelar can't go, that's that's a huge blow for Purdue. Um, He's legitimately one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, put up 509 yards and five touchdowns against Vanderbilt. Um, he makes that offense run, and without him, you know, sure Rondell Moore can get the ball, but I don't know if it's going to be as effective as it is with with Sindelar back there. Definitely, and and offenses will be a hallmark of this game. So S and P has this game uh, projected a 5.2 margin, 5.2 point margin in favor of TCU. TCU has a 62% win probability, but. Uh, S&P predicts the over. Uh, the over is 51.5 on this game, according to just this oh, yeah. one spreadsheet. And, and S&P predicts the over, which you have some injury concerns on, on both sides of the ball but for Purdue, but also potentially with their quarterback. And then TCU has a giant question mark at quarterback right now and possibly a book full of question marks as their playbook right now. And, uh, and so the over feels like that's best-case scenario for both teams. I, I agree. I, I think there are injury concerns, but I, I really don't think – I'm going to choose my words carefully here. I think TCU can put up points against Purdue. Um, you know, I, I think even against uh, what UAPB in the first week, there were a lot of points left on the board. I'm not going to say we score 51 – you know, uh, TCU scores 51 by itself, but I, I think we can at least hit 35, um, and then if Purdue gets 14, you know, that's 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 the line right there. Um I don't know. I, I like the over, um, even if it is sort of relying on, on health on Purdue's side and, and the TCU to figure something out on offense. But I do think that's a smart play. Yeah, I mean, a TCU offense that can put up 35 is uh, tilts that win probability way in TCU's favor. That is, it's not a rare thing, or it is a rare thing that uh, the, a Gary Patterson defense gives up that many points. So right. S&P predicts 36-30 as a rounded score, which which feels right in line with kind of what you're saying there of, you know, if TCU can cross that cross that mid 30s threshold, they can play enough defense to limit a very dangerous offense. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you mentioned the offense being dangerous and, and it is, especially with Cinderella's there. I don't know what numbers you have um, on Purdue's rushing success. I can tell you that they ran for 31 yards on 18 carries against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt does have a decent defense, but that's an average of 1.7 yards per carry. Their longest run was 10 yards. Um, so it's pretty much all passing for Purdue, and I think that kind of plays a little bit in the TCU's favor just because Patterson can draw up past defense schemes. Definitely. Yeah, so they're um, they're 40% on rushing success and 54 on passing success. Okay. Um, 
But when you, <laughs> this is a great stat. So when you break that out by standard downs and passing downs, and uh, just for, for those of you who don't know, a standard down is a down where there's no obvious play call. And a passing down is like that second and long, third and long kind of, you know, they're going to be throwing the ball generally. So um, on, on passing downs, Purdue's rushing success is 0.29. Um, okay. And their passing successes successes is 53, whereas they're at a 60% success rate at both of those on standard downs. Mm-hmm. And so there is a little bit of single dimensionality there in that if you know, I mean, you could take away the run really, really easily, which TCU has done to a lot of people in the past, and 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 force them to really try and make their make their hay on the pass game. Um, that that seems like an opportunity to exploit. If you know they can't run, that gives you a leg up in the pass game. Exactly, and you're going to need it. I mean, especially, you know, Brahm is a really good offensive coach. Sendelar is a good quarterback if he plays. Obviously, you got Ron Moore and a couple other good receivers. So that's going to really come in handy for TCU. Um, it's also going to be very embarrassing if the Frogs give up like 115 yards on the ground to a team that only put up 31 against Vanderbilt. But, you know, yeah, I think you kind of have to pick your battles. And against Purdue, you you – you know, stop the pass. I'd I'd much rather face their yeah. I'd much I'd much rather them try and beat us running than than passing. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have, I mean, we're rehashing a little bit of a conversation we had earlier this year. They have Rondale Moore, but they also have a big tight end, uh, Hopkins, and that is not something that TCU sees a lot in the Big Twelve. You know, uh, for OU, Grant Calcitrera has had a had a good game or two against TCU. Um, but as far as big tight ends, that is a that's kind of a new genre. Yeah, Hopkins, um, he's a really good player. Uh, looking at um, his stats from last year, um, he had the third most yards on the team. Again, as a tight end. He's 6'5", 245, uh, senior. Caught two touchdowns against Vanderbilt. Um, he's a weapon, and you know his longest catch was 20 yards, so those are red zone catches, red zone targets. Um, if you sell out to stop more, or guys like uh, Jared Sparks, uh, Amon Anderson, Hopkins is going to go over the middle, and, and you know he'll be open on a you – know, it's just kind of a big target, which – you know, that's like you said, that's something TCU doesn't face very often. Definitely. Um, so that going along with uh, kind of, you know, looking at some research, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Athlon uh, Sports Magazine mm-hmm. and uh, their football preview is pretty great. And so I just looked through that, took a bunch of notes uh, on Purdue. And one of the things I love that they do is they do this kind of opposing coaches scout a team. And so they'll say, hey, what do you think about, you know, call a coach in the conference and say, hey, off the record, anonymous, what do you think about X, Y, or Z uh, team? And uh, so I love that. So for Purdue, um, they talked about returning production, but they talked about how multiple looks, uh, that, that, that Purdue is great at being multiple, um, showing you a lot of different looks. And you see that with uh, Rondale Moore. You see that with Hopkins. And you see that with um, having Bell as well, who's kind of a deep threat. He's caught a couple touchdowns this year and kind of been a sneaky good third option um, there. He's averaging, you know, 26.2 yards per uh, catch on five receptions. So um, they definitely have a lot of multiple looks. And so a defense is going to have to kind of figure out, account for everyone at at all times. Lastly, the knock on them that I really want to bring up is kind of they have explosive starts, uh, but they have tough finishes. We talked about second half points, but also um, just from first down to third down, Purdue is a is a first down team. Um, their rushing success on their their passing success on fresh on first down is highest uh, of any down. 
their yards per play is highest on first down. They're averaging 8.64 yards per play uh, on a first down right now. What's hilarious about that stat is they're averaging 2.4 on rushes and 11.6 on yards per play. Uh, and before I, I stop talking and, and knock it over back to you, uh, the last thing I want to note there is their explosive play rate on first down is 24%. That means 24% of the time they're getting a, well, they're not getting a rush of 13 yards, but they're getting a rush of 13 yards or a pass of 15 yards. And that first down success is lethal um, and really hard to deal with. So that's something that TCU is going to have to deal with in, in, in trying to limit this offense. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think one thing you mentioned there that's really uh, kind of important is being multiple and having different receivers they can get the ball to and, and not being afraid to do so. Um, again, just pulling stats from the Vanderbilt game, um, they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six receivers have a catch over 20 yards. Um, they had uh, eight receivers catch at least two passes. Um, so they are not afraid to spread the ball around. Um, of course, Rondell Moore had 13 catches for 220 yards, and the next closest receiver had four. He's still their primary receiver, but they have a lot of guys that if you sell out to cover more, um, like you said, they're not afraid to get the ball uh, to different guys. Bell is good. Anderson is good. Um, Xander Horvath, their running back, uh, is looks like they really only use him for sort of short pass plays. It was uh, three catches for 13 yards, but um, like you said, they have a lot of guys that can go deep a lot, and they're aggressive. And TCU is going to have to sell out to stop uh, the pass. While I, I don't know, Parker, what do you think? Put Gladney on more and just leave him on an island, or, or, or what's your opinion? I think so, but man, you've heard so, you've heard the stories about Lekendrick Van Zant and that he can yeah he can fly. And so I think having multiple options there is um, is pretty great, just to the standpoint of one keeping people fresh, but two making sure that you have multiple guys who could fill in in a gap just in case something happens and more is not accounted for. Um, I think a big component of this though is going to be the pass rush, um, and this kind of shifts the conversation back to TCU. Not a whole ton to nitpick about TCU's defense. What we've seen so far, again, rightfully held an FCS opponent pretty much to nothing. Had had some struggles. Had a pretty bad wheel wheel route play where just clearly there was some miscommunication, and UAPB got a, a solid like 30 yard gain, their longest of the night. But for the most part, um, the defense was great with one little caveat. The pressure was just not there. Not what you would expect from, one, this talented TCU defensive line and kind of the names and the pedigree we have, but also from the standpoint of the talent and balance of FBS, FCS, FBS, SWAC. Um, and, uh, and so that was a little bit disconcerting. And if Elijah Sindelard has all day to throw the ball, I promise you he will find a receiver that will gladly take it and march down the field. Yeah, looking at um, just the ESPN box score, TCU had two sacks and no other hurries against UAPB. That's not ideal. Yeah. Um, against, like you said, against an FCS team. Um, I'm looking at the stats for Purdue against Vanderbilt. Um, defensively, looks like uh, Vanderbilt didn't sack Purdue once. Um, so, again, I, I can't speak uh, really educated um, on the Purdue offensive line, but if you know they didn't allow Vanderbilt to sack the quarterback and TCU is only getting two sacks against UAPB, it doesn't really spell, you know, success for the TCU pass rush, like you said. Um, yeah, that's going to be key. And and you're right; it, it is frustrating, Parker. I'll be honest with you: uh, the fact that the frogs can't can't get to the quarterback. Yeah, and and you know, you're hoping and, you know, you're this kind of this will this will transition us into the TCU offense segment that we really maybe don't want to do, mm-hmm. but have to do. Uh, <laughs> right. But 
there is there's been a lot of talk about you know this we treated this like a scrimmage we kind of held some things back we just wanted to get our guys out there and get healthy and and not 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 sustain any injuries just kind of run some of our base sets and so you'd like to believe that on defense like hey we're not going to come out and embarrass these dudes but also but also you should embarrass them for a little bit like you shouldn't put the starters in the fourth quarter you should embarrass them for the first quarter and then sit everybody and let guys get playing time so um yeah, so let's let's go ahead and do that. Let's dive in our last couple, last few minutes here. Let's talk about the offense, Grant. Um, I'm just going to lay that on the table and let you pick it up. Uh, let's talk about the offense. Okay, so from what I saw um, uh, in, in my beachside Airbnb at San Diego where I watched the game, uh, like you said, it was, it was very milk toast. It was very basic. Um, I was surprised at the, uh, the run-pass divide for TCU. Um, I'm sure you can speak more. Uh, educated on that, but looking at TCU's uh, stats from that game, um, what we passed the ball 45 times, ran it 36 times. To me, that's a little odd for a TCU offense. Um, I know we, you know, the frogs do run the spread, but you want to establish the run. Um, the running and running was successful: 36 attempts, 200 yards of rushing, but no running back got more than eight carries, and that was Darwin Barlow. Uh, I'd like to see uh, Shewo and Darius Anderson on the field more. Um, they didn't really do that from what I remember against UAPB. Um, and like you said, it was very vanilla. I, I, I believe, because I'm a, I'm a naive man, that they were holding back. But from what I saw in the field, if the trick stuff isn't working, if the you know sort of cool designs aren't working, I, I'm not real confident in the vanilla offense. And no, to me, that worries me a whole lot. Not at all. Like if, if you're going to call that your bread and butter – and you can't run it down. You can't. You can't shove it down somebody's throat. I mean, that is uh, that's disconcerting. And yeah, that that pass. You know, that rush pass split is pretty misleading too because TCU ran the ball like I, I had it in my in my recap the day after. Uh, so this is off the top of my head, but I think TCU ran the ball something like 21 times in its last three drives. I mean, that Dar- but Darwin Barlow just came in and ran the ball nine times in the end zone. Like, right. So that that rush pass rush pass split is skewed um, even more than it looks because we passed so much in the first half. And I wonder if that wasn't a little bit of an audition. So I can believe some of the, hey, we were doing something weird. Normally we'd run run plays differently because we wanted to see what our guys got and we want to get them as many pass reps as possible. I don't love that, but I can at least believe that, which brings me to something that I don't love and I do not believe at all, which is – Multiple times, TCU staff, TCU coaches saying, we're, we're holding back. We're not actually bad. We were just intentionally holding back. And I might have a little rant on that, but I want to hear your thoughts about that first. I believe it because I believe what you said about it being an audition. I think that they want to give Duggan and Delton similar looks, have them run similar plays against not to be mean, but sort of you know lower level competition, um, and see what they can do with those similar looks. Uh, obviously, Duggan won that battle. I'm sure. I don't need to go into that, but I, I think um, I think to me that's what I hold out. That's what I hold on to is that they were trying to give Duggan and Delton similar looks in that sort of audition style. Um, but again, I, I wish we had another game before Purdue. I, I kind of don't like the bye week being there last Saturday. I kind of wish the SMU game was there. Yeah. Um, just so that we could try those guys against FBS competition, you know, rivalry game, and really see, okay, when chips are down, when we need to make a play, what are we going to run, you know, and, and how can we open this thing up? Um, so I, I will attest some of that to the, the audition principle, but but I, I it, didn't, it didn't make me happy, you know. Yeah. 
No, I, d- I agree with that. That's a good, that's a, that's a salient point. I think that SMU game has a little bit of, uh, has a sanctifying quality on TCU, like having to sweat against SMU and there being some, you know, it either being a million degrees or it's raining on a Friday night, whatever nonsense that is, having to deal with that is, is good. So yeah, I think that's, that's going to be tough having the whole week off and not, not really facing, you know, first FBS competition you're playing is an offense that will, that'll take you behind the woodshed if you, if you let them. So right. I am thinking about that, and I'm trying to compartmentalize. I'm trying to say, all right, on good faith, that's fine. Let's believe it. They're running the Villanova offense. I disagree with why you would do that. I think good teams don't need to rely this much on deception. Um, you don't you don't need to hide your offense that much if you really are good. Um, and so I kind of hate that. But putting that aside, I'm looking at uh, today. I tweeted out just a running list of things that would signify improvement on offense for TCU. And so I said, um, early down passes, downfield passes, passing beyond the sticks, um, meaningful pre-snap motion. All we saw in the UAPB game was receivers shifting places. There wasn't really anything that was distracting. There wasn't anything that was really um, kind of adding a dimension to the play call. Uh, I mentioned one that I don't think a lot of people have been talking about, linemen pulling as a distraction, running a counter, running um, some kind of uh, weak side pull that is just another wrinkle. Right now we have a whole lot of split zone, we have a whole lot of zone read, and that is just linemen you know, stepping to the right and hoping to hit a guy, and that is not emblematic of an offense that is highly functioning. Um, along with that, run, running plays that aren't zone dives. Look, Darwin Barlow has huge thighs, that's great. You can give him the ball and he will run it over people. But at some point, that's going to end. Um, and then yeah. lastly, most importantly, touchdowns in the red zone. You get to the red zone, it has to be yeah, a touchdown. That's just unacceptable. That was the most so brutal are, thing to me. And, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say, that was just the most brutal thing to me. And honestly, I, I listen, as much as I love kickers and punters, I was very excited to see Jonathan Sonko 5 for 5. But I wish he would have kicked one field goal in that game. I mean, Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your rant. I just that was that's the most frustrating part. Yeah, the the scoring offense, and that is really where I think it comes off as disingenuous to say, "Oh, well, we were we were holding back." Well, it's like okay, it's different to say, "Oh, we only scored three touchdowns instead of five touchdowns." It's unacceptable to get into the get get a scoring opportunity, you know, defined as getting a first down inside the opponent's forty. It's it's unacceptable to get a scoring opportunity and not score five times. That is just. Insane. Well, and field goals, but field goals don't matter against FCS. Those don't count. No. Those are failures. No, um, no, absolutely not. And, and and I will say, just from the eye test, there were some drops that I think were very unfortunate and honestly made Delton look worse than he was. Yes. Um, Rager had an uncharacteristically off game. But, okay, you had drops. You still only scored, well, like, three touchdowns against an FCS right. team. Like, uh, I'm willing to write off, like, two drops. Uh, but I'm not willing to write off you know, that bad of a red zone performance. Yep. It, 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 if that's what they're relying on, then that's not great. Yeah, I, I agree that that definitely has to, um, that definitely has to improve. So, um, Grant, we're, uh, we're, we're button up against time here. And so I want to, I want to respect that. So let me hear, um, your kind of best case to worst case and then prediction for the game this weekend. Okay. Okay. Uh, Best case, I think the offense um, opens up a little bit, kind of like we've been talking about. Um, Like I said, I think, you know, 38, uh, 42 points against an FBS defense is good for this offense right now. Um, I think uh, when TCU is on defense, locking down more, um, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of eat my words here a little bit. I said Purdue can beat you uh, if you lock down more and let other receivers 
kind of control the game. But I would rather take our chances with that. Um, it was funny. I was talking to a high school coach this week, and they're kind of going up against a team with a really good wide receiver uh, that they just rely on. And they said the way you handle that is you stick one, you know, your lockdown corner on him, beat him up at the line of scrimmage, and have a safety help. And if TCU does that, sticks Gladney or Van Zandt in a rotation and beats up more at the line of scrimmage, um, and sort of as much as the Frogs can take him out of the game, uh, I think TCU wins, you know, easily covers the spread. I'll say that. Worst case, uh, Delton doesn't improve. Duggan, you know, is kind of lukewarm when he comes in the game. Um, like we did against UAPB, the Frogs don't establish the run at all early. Uh, and more breaks free for two touchdowns. The home crowd gets into it. Uh, and it's just a game where TCU is, you know, technically in the game, but Purdue has a lead um, for most of the game. Like you said, they're a first-half team. Uh, and the Frogs just can't get enough going on offense to mount a comeback. Um, my prediction would be somewhere in the middle. Um, I do think TCU will win. I think the injury to Bailey for Purdue really helps. Um, I don't know if Sindelar is 100%, and I think Patterson is a good enough defensive coach to scheme against sort of a one-dimensional team. I'll say uh, 38-27 TCU. Nice. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that, you know, worst-case scenario is something goes wrong with Delton and – TCU doesn't have a doesn't pull him quick enough. Um, yeah, and and they dig out too big of a hole, and Purdue can just kind of match in the second half and, and run away with the game. So um, I'm not super worried about that just from the defensive standpoint and all things you say. But I think I think yeah, best case scenario is TCU's first drive is a touchdown, um, and that's silly to say like oh yes they should score and that will be good. Uh, that's not exactly a you know it's not exactly a tautology, but uh, it's kind of saying. If they can establish themselves as a moderately competent offense and then limit Purdue to just an above-average offense, everything's in TCU's favor. Um, and so I uh, I think, yeah, worst-case scenario is like multiple defensive touchdowns for Purdue. They're not a scoring defense, and that will just kind of reflect incompetence on, on part of the TCU offense. So... Um, I think prediction. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna keep kind of what you said and just go a level lower, uh, just because I don't love TCU's offense and I think I'm worried about a slow start on both sides. So I'll say something in the 27, 24, 30, 27 range. Um, TCU wins. There's a field goal. Purdue has the ball late. It's a little anxiety-inducing, but um, yeah, I think I think the Frogs will take it this weekend. I, I agree. I, I, let me ask you one final thing. I know we're running up against time. Oh, we're great. How? How will um, momentum such a loose term that it's unquantifiable and I get all that. It might not even exist. But how much will beating Purdue, do you think, sort of mean for TCU? I mean, it's it's an FBS opponent. It's a Power 5 opponent. Again, all due respect to the Boilermakers. We are Purdue respecters here. But it's not like we're beating Ohio State. So I guess what I mean is how how reflective will a win here be for the Frogs if they do win? Okay, well, I have uh... – I have three things that I need to say in response to that. One, okay, don't talk about ahead. momentum on here. This is a stats podcast. Okay. I'm very sensitive yes, about my that. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Two, um, we're big Purdue respecters. And uh, if yes. you remember your middle school algebra, um, transitive mm-hmm. property, if A beats B and B beats C, then A beats C. So TC beats true. Purdue, Purdue beat Ohio State. We have a win over Ohio State. That's true. That's true. Um, That's true. Third, I think that the biggest takeaway from this, um, if you want to talk about kind of momentum or, or kind of positive, positive mojo, uh, to sure. use a technical term, that SMU, that Sunny Dyke, Shane Bouchelle offense is going to look a whole uh-huh. lot less scary 
if we can handle uh-huh. Purdue. And if we can ha- handle Rondell Moore and uh, tight end Hopkins, whose first name I don't know, and Bryson. I yeah, think. Bryson. Yeah. Ho- that is a spell weird. That's a tight end yeah. ass name, dude. Oh, um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we can handle them, we can handle the singularity. Then, uh, yeah, I think I think that makes SMU not that scary, which makes Kansas not that scary. Which means you're going into Iowa State and you're four and zero, and you're feeling like, hey. Brock Purdy was good last year, but he struggled a little bit. I'm not de facto scared of him. Maybe the offense has a role. So I think, you know, I won't I won't necessarily speak to momentum, but in terms of putting pieces in place to succeed, a win here does you a lot of good in terms of perception of the uh, next few opponents. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think we're I think we're aligned there. I just think that, you know, this is one of those key games for TCU. We talked about the last time I was on. Um, it's a shame that it comes in week three uh, after a bye week. Again, I don't love the timing, but um, I, I'm go- not going to be uh, able to sleep the night before. I don't think oh, yeah. I, I am a little bit nervous, but yeah. I am. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually going on a family fishing trip. And so I will not oh, watch the game okay. until Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to like go Ooh. complete radio silence. And yeah. Uh, can I tell you what I'm doing on, can I tell you what I'm doing on Saturday? Please. I am babysitting three girls under the age of 12. Um, for about five or six hours that day. Um, they're not relatives of mine. They're kids of a friend's. Um, I'm excited. The kids like me, which is nice, but I'm going to be so dog-tired from doing that uh, that if TCU loses that game, uh, it's going to wreck me for the entire week. Oh, yeah. I can, man, that is, uh, yeah, that is, that is going to be, that's going to be a roller coaster for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Cool. All right, Grant. Well, uh, always a pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Um, enjoyed talking to you. And yeah. we will, uh, we'll sorry, catch up again sorry soon. Sorry I brought up momentum. Well, yeah, it's all right. Absolutely, Parker. You'll, you'll, you're, you're forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, man. All right, man. Yep. Talk to you later, Parker. All right, so I've got Travis Miller here with me, the site manager for Hammer and Rails, the SB Nation Purdue blog. Hey, Travis, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate appreciate you having me this week, and uh, it's been an interesting week to be sure. Uh, we've had a lot of news on our end, uh, at least in terms of injuries and everything. Yeah, so, I mean, right off the bat, let's start with that, because I, I, I was just in a Twitter conversation with a couple of TCU folks. Who Who is hurt for Purdue right now? Um, well, the biggest news that came out today is that fifth-year senior starting linebacker, uh, basically one of the best linebackers we've ever had at Purdue, uh, Marcus Bailey, is out for the season with a knee injury. Uh, they just announced they just announced that this afternoon, and it must have happened in practice or something. But uh, he is basically one of the best players that we have defensively. He had 14 tackles in the first two games, so that was after 115 last year. He's the one that had the exclamation point pick six in the big uh, Ohio State win last season. And it's just a pretty big loss. I mean, we've got some depth at linebacker. Uh, That's one of the few positions where we really do have a little bit of depth. But you don't lose a guy like Bailey and get better. I mean, this guy is one of the better players in the Big Ten, team captain and everything else. And it's... uh, 
It's the second time he's had a knee injury in his career, too, because he had one uh, when he was a true freshman, and it cost him most of his true freshman season, and he was able to go back and get that red shirt, and that's why he's here as a fifth-year guy now, too. Otherwise, he would have been gone after last year. Dang. Well, yeah, that's a that's a huge hurt. And I mean, TCU is no stranger to injuries. You know, last year we had 20 guys who at least, who, who at least missed uh, four games, who missed at least four games. Um, and so we're no we're no stranger to the injury bug. But that's disappointing to hear, especially on the week leading up to like a what is what is a sneakily pretty quality power five matchup. You know, you've got Jeff Brom, high octane offense. He says no to Louisville. He's coming back. And you've got Gary Patterson, who's kind of the defensive guru and the big 12 and so seeing those styles match up i was really excited and so to see that tainted by injury is always always a little disappointing and and we're also missing uh probably our second best defensive player maybe our best defensive player depending on what you argue um lorenzo neal um who's the son of nfl fullback the longtime fullback uh lorenzo neal he has been out since the Indiana game last year, he tore his ACL in that game, and he's still recovering from that. Um, they thought he might be ready to go here as the season started, and then it was like, well, not in week one, not in week two. He is definitely still out this week, too, and we're hoping to be able to get him back by uh, later in the season. And then uh, we just got crushed at uh, running back as well with injuries. Uh, top two guys. Uh, Richie Worship, he is a bigger running back, and he has also been recovering from a knee injury for about a year and a half now, and he's had some complications with that. And it's just the it, at this point, I'd be kind of be surprised if he ever came back. And then top running back Tario Fuller actually broke his jaw the second week of fall camp, and he was expected Damn. to he was expected to be the top top running back. He's been the starter before, and he's you know had some you know, he was nicked up two years ago, and then last year he was really the number three guy behind uh, Markel Jones and DJ Knox, who were pretty good one-two punch for us. Uh, Knox and Jones graduated. It was supposed to be Fuller's year, and he's out. So we essentially have four running backs on the roster, period, right now, and the starter is a uh, walk-on by the name of Xander Horvath. <laughs> And then we have two true freshmen, one uh, from Texas, actually, from Amarillo, Texas. King Doru has uh, gotten a few carries, but we are definitely concerned because we just don't have any sort of running game. And I haven't even mentioned quarterback Elijah Sindelar, who's been in con concussion protocol all week. He is that was my next bit... question. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we don't know the status of Sindelar. It seems like he's probably going to play. Uh, but if not, we are going to be down to essentially a redshirt freshman making his first in-game appearance uh, yeah. at quarter. Yeah, that's going to be uh, – hopefully Sindelar plays just from the standpoint of competition and, like, I, I want to see that. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to talk about that rushing attack. You know, you look at um, Purdue, Purdue rushing success rate is pretty low. Purdue rushing success rate on, on – non-standard downs is pretty low um they on so uh the 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 big the big scouting report on purdue is like first down explosion that's something that they did really well at last year and something that they've continued this year and so for instance though they're they're pretty one-dimensional uh they're passing they're 11.6 yards per play on first down but they're 2.44 on first down that rushing success rate on first down is is in the low 30s so um 
How much do you think of that? Is is running back depth or running back injury, or um, a little bit on the offensive line? I know they lost, I think, three starters coming into the season. How have those offensive linemen that are filling holes kind of um, looked over the first two year or two games? Uh, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, we're there was a large portion of Saturday against Vanderbilt where we weren't even trying to run the ball. Uh, I think halftime we had eight yards on five carries. <laughs> and that is uh, obviously not very productive. And uh, we, we just haven't been able to get much of a push. There's not many holes up there. Um, one of the other injuries that is kind of questionable this week is our most versatile lineman, Matt McCann. He is a uh, fifth-year senior, longtime starter. He is kind of questionable for Saturday. And we do have uh, a couple of first-time starters just going along. We have Victor Beach as a first-time starter at center. Uh, Alex Criddle is at uh, left guard after he started his career as a defensive tackle and has moved over at pretty much out of necessity. But he's been a big surprise there. And then um, we're starting a redshirt freshman on, on the uh, right at right tackle by the name of Will Bramel. So it's a very inexperienced line. We've got we don't have a ton of depth. Uh, the only starters really that we've got back that have a ton of playing experience are McCann and the left tackle Grant Hermans. But so far, they've actually set, stood up pretty well in in the passing game. They've been able to block. They've been able to give Sindelar time to throw. And that was a major concern coming into the season because Sindelar is a different quarterback than David Blau, who played much of last year. David Blau was a smaller, more mobile quarterback. Didn't run a lot, but he could run and he did really well on rolling the pocket and everything else. Whereas Sindelar, Sindelar is a statue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he's, you know, this is more injury stuff. He is he's torn his ACL and you don't want a 6'5 slow guy on a bad knee running very much. <laughs> and no, you don't. Being rusher right now with 36 yards rushing. So Yeah. Yeah, no, noteworthy. The, uh, Purdue only has one sack on the year, um, and so they've given they've given them a lot of time. And you know, you got a bunch of speedy receivers, and you see it's not just Rondell Moore. It's you know Bell and Hopkins also have pretty pretty substantial gains. And then um, I think it was last week uh, I heard the stat that you had six guys with a reception of twenty yards or more. Um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. spread the ball around extremely well. Um, yeah. Bryson Hopkins at tight end is an NFL caliber tight end, and he's he's been solid all year. He's got nine catches, 125 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, David Bell is a true freshman out of Indy, but he was a big, big-time recruit, one of the bigger recruits that we've gotten in some time. And he had a, his only catch in the Nevada game was like a 49-yard touchdown, but then he looked really good against Vanderbilt. Uh, you've got Ahmad Anderson, who has come on as a redshirt freshman. He's second with 11 receptions. And really, you've got, I mean, you've even got a couple of juniors who might get a little bit forgotten, but Jared Sparks and Jackson Anthrop, they're both juniors, and they have the experience, whereas we had like three or four freshman receivers that were supposed to come in and push them this year, but they, the older guys are like, all right, we're still here, we're still uh, able to contribute, and they've done a good job this year. Definitely. Yeah, um, I think I think Purdue is... As someone who lives in Texas, I feel like I can say this authoritatively. Purdue slings the ball. Like, they just yeah. – they, they have more, and everyone knows that name. But they run so deep at wide receiver of guys who can catch the ball in space and, and do something with it. That's um, that's pretty impressive. And um, that Wendell Moore guy is – he's decent. 
he's all right. He's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've been having a big controversy over at Frogs. We're talking about there was uh, there was someone I'm uh, from Purdue Twitter who was saying that Rondell Moore was the best wide receiver that TCU has ever faced, and I'm not saying that won't be true by the time Rondell Moore is the peak of who he is, but that's just a very long list of receivers that you have to stack yeah. him up against. I mean, I'm not too familiar with the Big 12 and everything, but I know, like, Oklahoma State's had some good wins with, like, Des Bryant and everything else. And, and uh, sorry about that. But, yeah, like, you have, like, Des Bryant at Oklahoma State. Uh, all the great guys that have come through Texas. And, you know, Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech. You know, just some guys that have stuck around the NFL a long time. Uh, but Moore is pretty special. I mean, I don't think yeah. he's the best you guys have ever seen, but – he might be one of the more versatile ones because we just try to get him the ball in a variety of ways. And uh, I like to call him a, just how the hell do you stop that guy guy? (laughs) I'm sitting in the stands on Saturday and it's early in the fourth quarter. I'm like, wow, he's had a quiet day. And I look at my phone and the stats and like, oh, he's had nine catches for 92 yards or something. And then he goes and he busts like a uh, 45 yard catch for a touchdown and then have like a 70 yard catch yeah. that set up another one <laughs> and it's just he can he can make any play look spectacular and it's it's just he's so fun to watch he really is definitely one of my favorite statistical things to do is to kind of cut out outliers and so i'm like okay you know rondell moore is averaging 14.3 yards per per catch this um this season what if i cut out his top run that's like or his long which is 70 yards well, the next one's like 45. It's like, okay, yeah. well, if I cut that out, the next one's like 42. And the next one's 38. And he just has all these incredible, like, that's just what he does. Those aren't outliers. That's just what he does is make these big, huge plays. And he, the the one team that really, there were two teams that really kind of stopped him last year. The second game against Eastern Michigan, I think he had like two catches for 15 yards or something. He still had a 50-yard run that would have been a touchdown if he hadn't tripped over his own blocker that got in his way. <laughs> oh man! And then Iowa, Iowa probably did the best on him. Uh, they were able to keep him mostly in control, but that's the same day we had a guy go for like 180 yards and three touchdowns, uh, Terry Wright, and he ended up at least in training camp with the Seahawks this year. So when teams do concentrate on Rondale it opens things up for so many other guys and everything. And I think that's kind of the best case scenario, especially with the complete lack of a running game we have so far is all right, go ahead and concentrate on Rondo. We got all these other targets out here that can, that can still hurt you. Definitely. Yeah. The, the multiplicity is really the scary part for me. And, and just that they have a lot of looks and they're not afraid to show a lot of looks. Um, Okay, I want to I want to put you on the spot just a little bit, and I want to ask you to again for you know TCU fans, we're not watching Big Ten every every day. We only see results here and there. I I want you to contextualize for TCU fans the Eastern Michigan loss last year, and then giving up 400 passing yards to Vanderbilt this year. Contextualize those, spin those for Purdue. Give us the PR slant. What the hell is that? The Eastern Michigan game was really strange. Uh, it was played in a downpour, which if you're a mostly passing team, 
you don't it that doesn't work very well in the rain but even then we just had a lot of self-inflicted wounds a lot of mistakes uh um as i like to say purdue is an expert at tripping over its own genitalia and uh <laughs> and th that was definitely the case in that one uh we to tell you how bad it was we scored a touchdown with 641 left uh, to finally take the lead 1817 we were going to go for two to go up uh three points and because our running back slipped in the end zone they flagged him for celebration and that moved the two point try back 15 yards so we had to only kick the extra point we ended up kicking the extra point and or kicking the extra point we're only up two and we lose on a walk off field goal so, it, I mean, just a lot of things went wrong in that game. It was weather, yeah. it was play, it was an inexperienced team. I mean, Rondale only had the one big play, and but that was just the second game of his career. And then Vanderbilt, honestly, a lot of it was just we were up late and they were just passing to try and catch up. I mean, we pulled ahead in the second, uh, third quarter by, I think, three scores at one point. And at that point, they're just going to abandon the running game and try to throw as much as they can. I know they hit on yeah. a big play for like 75 yards, so that's a big chunk right there. And that was just a guy missed a tackle and the receiver got away. And, you know, so I'm not too concerned with that. I was more concerned about the Vander or the Nevada loss, which was, again, tripping over our own genitalia, if you will. Um, we had five turnovers in that game. We had consecutive punts that were fumbled that led to 10 points in the third quarter. If you hold on to those punts, that takes away 10 points, and suddenly we're up 24 with 18 minutes left, or with eight minutes left as opposed to 14. And yeah. if you're up 24 with eight minutes left, that's a totally different ballgame than up 14. And I think we got tired. I think maybe the altitude hit. Uh, the defense was definitely gassed at the end, and Nevada was able to go down, score, get a stop, because we have no running game, <laughs> and score yeah. again. And then we turned it over yet again, and they bombed in a deep field goal. So it was that was just one of the more typical Purdue losses uh, over the many years that I've been a Purdue fan, where you just you're, you're still mad about it weeks later under the okay, we freaking had that game and we blew it, and that that's exactly what happened against Nevada is we blew it. There's no other explanation. And so, do you think do you think that's going to be one of those? Because, I mean, Eastern Michigan was a little bit that last year, like the rallying game of, okay, guys, let's figure this out and go on a tear. Uh, do you think it's going to be that kind of game? Or do you think that's um, more emblematic of like, hey, this is what bad Purdue looks like. This is we're fumbling and we can't run and we can't hold on to a lead. Um, what do you think the team took away from that game? Uh, I think it's definitely they still got to learn to finish. Um, it's amazing because of our last eight losses, seven last year and then the Nevada game this year, <laughs> Four of them have come on the final snap of the game. Yeah. Uh, we lost to Mi Missouri and Eastern Michigan and Nevada on walk-off field goals. And then we lost in triple overtime to Wisconsin because we couldn't hold a lead in that mm -hmm. game. So I think this is still a team figuring out how to win close games. And it's also an extremely young team. Uh, I keep track of our scholarship grid. We have 78 guys on scholarship, at least as far as I can see. 45 of them are either redshirt or true freshmen. Wow. So, and that's 18 wow. guys. That's 18 guys on the depth chart that are freshmen in some form or another. So this is, 
I think there are a lot of Purdue fans that felt this was going to be a year where you win six, seven, maybe eight games, and it sets things up for a big 2020 because uh, Brahms recruiting has been light years better than Daryl Hazel, the guy that was there before. And I think Brom worked near miracles to get to bowls the last couple of years, just plugging what holes he could and, you know, getting the most that he could out of guys that were not that highly recruited. I mean, Hazel's recruiting classes were often in the low 60s, high 70s. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Brom, the class that he brought in this year was probably, I think it was our first top 25 recruiting class nationally in 15 years. So wow. you're, you're looking at just, there is more talent there. There's going to be depth, but they're still freshmen. And yeah. there's, there's right now you're kind of in that turnover of getting his guys in and them being the bulk of the program and getting that playing time versus the, you know, developed players that he has had. And then now they're going to get even more playing time because we have 11 scholarship seniors and currently six of them are hurt. So, yeah. And they're all yep. at big spots, and that'll so. mitigate. And that'll mitigate a little bit. Like you'll lose Sindelard, but you have all this stuff coming around around him, and so that'll kind of all the stuff returning around him, and so that'll kind of wash out in terms of production. Right, yeah. right. and it, you know, uh, a lot of people think that Plummer is going to be the guy of the future, but there's also a couple of other quarterbacks coming along the way. Like he got it. He got his first four-star quarterback coming in in next year's class. So how's that going to develop for the future and everything? So it's right. it's exciting. Um, I I think that the offensive line is the area where he is trying is like the last major area that needs to have his touch to transport in the program and everything. But in so many other ways, things are just significantly better under Hazel because man, it was bad. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's nice to have like I don't mean this I don't mean this condescendingly like it's nice to have a little hope as a program and like the hope wasn't there for a while. Yeah. Well, he was there for four years and it was okay with him and then we hired Hazel. So. Yeah. Well, our yeah. previous pick before that was Danny Hope, so it's like yeah, hope was all gone. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally, and and metaphorically. Um, that's great. Okay, so I want to do I want to do two things before we wrap up. So one, I want to ask you about your perception of TCU. Like what is, um, uh, you know, what are, what are you expecting going into this game? What do you think TCU's strengths are? Where do you think that they're susceptible? Just in, in kind of anecdotally what you've heard. Um, and then I want to talk about predictions and, and best case, worst case scenario. So let's do, let's do TCU first. Um, what is Purdue expecting from TCU in this game? I think you guys have been known for your defense for a while, uh, but I, I remember some of those TCU games that were getting uh, you guys were getting in just you know unbelievable Big Twelve shootouts. Like, wasn't there a sixty-one fifty-eight game with Baylor a how, few years ago? How dare you! Um, oh, I apologize. It's fine. Uh, it's game week. You're allowed to talk trash. That's okay. Um, yes, there was, but, and there's been there's been plenty of games that are. Huge back and forth multi score affairs. Um, yeah. You yeah. guys have plenty of athletes. Uh, you guys have undoubtedly recruited better than us over the last few years just because Hazel was one of the worst recruiters out of a Power Five conference. 
um, I, you know, one of the things that we've talked about with him is he didn't go across town to offer a four-star offensive tackle when we absolutely needed an offensive tackle. And this was a kid at in Lafayette, and he didn't offer him a scholarship. And the kid ended up at Indiana and has been a four-year starter. So that, yeah. that was Daryl Hazel's recruiting strategy was, eh, screw it. <laughs> but but as far as TCU, I know you guys uh, you guys have had some pretty potent offenses. I know uh, kind of the last thing that a lot of Purdue fans know is the, obviously the Cheez It Bowl, which was um, uh, you Beautiful. guys. Yeah. Beautiful. Hey, it was more exciting than the Bears and Packers, honestly, last <laughs> week. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, I know that there's. Plenty of talent there. I've been uh, looking up Jalen Rhaegar. Is, is it pronounced Rhaegar? Rhaegar, just Rhaegar. Yeah. Rager, yeah. Uh, he looks excellent. Uh, he looks kind of like a uh, Rondor, Rondale Moore type. And so just seeing those two running around making defenses look foolish on Saturday night could be pretty exciting. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be – I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that offense, offense dominates. Like, I love the TCU defense. But it's just not going to be fun for Jeff Brom and Gary Patterson to get into a matchup that's going to be like 16 to 7. You know, I don't want to see that. I've seen that game. I want to watch like 58 to 50. I want to see something crazy. Yeah, and, and that's kind of I, – I think it could end up being a lot like last year when we played Missouri. It was the third non-conference game, home night game big crowd and everything else and they turned the defenses off in that one i think the final was 40 to 37 and in the, both teams were just marching up and down the field uh blau ended up breaking the school record for total offense and for passing which wow. when breaks a uh, passing record that drew Brees once had and you know, Brees is decent, decent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, when he's out there breaking those records and uh, he probably could have had more because he had what was the potentially the game winning touchdown wiped away on review. And we had to settle for a tying field goal instead of being up four late. Uh, but, you know, that was just more yards taken away from him. And even then, Missouri went right down the field and the game winning field goal was like a 25 yarder. And it's like, OK, if we'd have been up four, they would have given up a score anyway, because they were just we weren't stopping them. Nobody was stopping anybody in that game. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a shootout. It's shootouts come. Um, OK, so let's do let's do our final little segment here and let's talk about um, for Purdue. What is best case scenario? What is worst case scenario? And then what's your prediction for the game? Well, I think best case is uh, Sindelar is able to play and he just keeps chucking it the way he's he's playing. Right now, he's leading the nation in passing. He's thrown for over 900 yards in two games combined, and he's been really, really solid. It's funny because he has the exact same number of completions and attempts in both games this year. But uh, he, he's been spreading the ball around, and I think that's what Purdue needs to do. I Anything we get out of the running game is going to be a surprise at this point, and I'll take it as a bonus. Um, but that is that's the best case is that he keeps chucking it and they keep moving it, and that the defense is able to adjust without Bailey. Uh, Bailey's a big loss, but it is at one of the positions where we have some depth and we might be able to not. I don't want to say uh, you know just do fine without him, but at least survive without him. And yeah. uh, 
probably the worst case is the defense struggles, can't get stops. Um, they stop being able to get pressure because I haven't even mentioned our other stud true freshman, uh, George Karloftis from West Lafayette High. Uh, this kid has been f- fantastic. Uh, he came in, uh, he was a five-star recruit, according to 24-7 last year at one point. Uh, kept him kept him home. Uh, he's going to school kind of closer than when he went to high school to his house. And so far, he's just been a monster at getting pressure on the quarterback. He's only got half a sack so far, but I think he had 14 quarterback pressures at Nevada. And I'm not kidding when he could have started last year, uh, but he was too busy winning a state title for West Lafayette High School. And then he graduated early and has already been through spring practice and was just a starter from day one. So um, he he's going to be really, really fun to watch over the next few years, too. And uh, I think that uh, if he he's not able to get pressure and you guys are able to, you know, kind of find some more answers to some of your own offensive questions. That could be a problem. And Sindelar, unfortunately, he can, he can have a bad game too. Uh, he's been known to throw some interceptions. I think he threw three in the first half of the season opener last year against Northwestern. And uh, uh, he, he can go into a funk or he may not even be able to play at all. And maybe those injuries catch up to us. So I really can't even make a prediction unless I know, okay, yes, definitely Sindelar is going to play or no, he's not. I think, Purdue's best shot is obviously if he plays, uh, and yeah. if he doesn't, I think it's going to be a long Saturday night for us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm hoping Sindelar plays just from a standpoint of, like, I want the TCU defense to get the reps, even if, yeah, I, 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 I want to see that competition. I want to see Brom versus Patterson best on best uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Cool. Um, all right, Travis, thanks so much for giving me some of your time, man. Uh, really enjoyed it. Learn a little bit about uh, learn a little bit about Purdue from a Purdue perspective, and just uh, chatting about the game. I think our listeners are going to love that. So thanks so much for uh, hopping on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, just as a note to any of your listeners or anything out there, uh, Purdue is actually having a drive before the game, uh, accepting uh, accepting hurricane uh, relief supplies for the Bahamas. They're asking people to bring. A bunch of stuff. We have a post up over at Hammer and Rails about what to bring and everything else. And uh, they're wanting to fill the Purdue equipment trailer and drive it down to Florida so it can then go over to the Bahamas. So if any TCU fans are out there uh, that you happen to be coming to the game to West Lafayette, uh, we're more than welcome to take your donations and uh, chip in chip in from there and uh, see what you guys can add to it. Definitely. Yeah. And we uh, we just shared that link from the Frogs of War account. So listeners, you can go find it there. And it is on uh, Hammer and Rails has a post up about it, too. So, uh, Travis, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, I am. Uh, my personal Twitter is at just T-Mill, And then we have the site account at Hammer and Rails like that. Uh, and then, of course, hammerandrails.com. Uh, we've got a full thing up. I know one of our newer writers uh, did it kind of a uh, bit of a tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, calling TCU the littlest of little brothers. Uh, and we're like, okay, please just direct all hate at Chris. Uh, he's just doing his thing because he lives in North Texas. <laughs> that's good. I'll go I'll go find Chris's account and direct my listeners to that because that's been a source of ire, a funny source of ire. But uh, right. yeah, cool. Um, all right. Well, great. Travis, thanks so much for talking, man. And uh, yeah, uh, I hope for a good game this weekend. Definitely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.